Hello, welcome into this podcast. This is Mitch adding a post-edit note. Unfortunately, during this podcast, we had a couple audio issues. So I've been using a new software called Zencaster, which allows me to combine two sources of audio. And the goal of that is to make my guest's audio sound clear. And so my guest today had a Blue Yeti microphone and we were going to combine the two sources of audio recorded the two vocal tracks and mixed them together and for some reason the ends of the answers got jumbled together so there was some sort of delay on the two audio tracks which means that I was left with audio that had both of us talking over each other when we weren't supposed to be. So I fixed a lot of those issues in post but some of the transitions between Danny talking and between me talking are a little bit abrupt and so I wanted to explain that here in case you're listening and it feels a little jarring I apologize for that and if this is your first time listening to this podcast those are no, those audio issues are not normal and I encourage you to check out some of the other work we've done and I will get this issue figured out for the next one despite of that I feel like we had a really great conversation where we cover a lot of different interesting topics so let's get right into the interview. Welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast, presented as always by Esports Network. I'm your host, Mitch Dreams, and today I'm joined for an interview with Danny Martin. Danny is the executive director and co-founder of Geekleets, an online competitive gaming environment that connects tournament hosts and gamers. Danny, how are you doing today? I'm doing perfect. How, you, how about yourself? I'm doing quite well. It's a little bit overcast out here in Oregon, but that's par for the course for us. Ah, that's awesome. <laughs> so I wanted to start with what Geekleets is. If you only have 30 seconds to explain to somebody what you're building there, what do you say? So we're an esports platform that's combined technology and real estate to be able to allow gamers to come in and be able to competitively compete while at the same time aggregating data uh, that helps it be sufficient for that of the leagues that are popping up in the esports industry right now. We're seeing a plethora of uh, professional gamers uh, living out their dreams. So we just really wanted to be able to provide an atmosphere for those and also the atmosphere for the spectators and which enjoys esports. We want to be able to see this grow. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so important. And in this podcast, we're going to cover a lot of different topics. Uh, Esports accessibility is a huge thing for me. So we're going to spend a long time talking about some of the barriers to entry for esports and how companies like Geekweets are breaking down some of those walls. Uh, We're going to spend some time talking about the NBA 2K League scene, because that's a game that Geekweets is very heavily involved in. And I've done some work for NBA 2K League teams in the past. So we're going to talk a bit about that scene. We haven't covered that much on this podcast yet. And then we're going to talk about their new arena they're building in Texas. But first, for people who are founders or co-founders of companies, I love to talk about the inspiration phase because every new company starts with some idea or some goal that they want to fix. So do you have a moment that stands out in the creation of this company where really a, a, a light bulb sort of moment where Geekly started to become a reality? Yes, for sure. So while in college and and, and and while in college, I wanted to focus in on finding uh, revenue opportunities. And um, one of the things that highlighted was the gaming industry. One particularly, it was the the um, 
the uh, consoles uh, that needed to be repaired. So I focused in on that, started to learn the dynamics. And because of that data of you know of fixing individuals' consoles, I was able to see who plays, how they play, when they play, how they look when they played. And I just took that data to host tournaments on our campus. And then from that, I recognized other individuals, um, teammates and friends and uh, individuals who will reach out to me via email or text will say, can I be able to host a tournament as well? So I'll end up teaching individuals how to be able to host tournaments. So at that instance, I was like, okay, well, if individuals want to be able to host tournaments, well, they need to first know uh, the components of business building and having a market, having a brand. And so I wanted to be able to take the skill sets from the hardware aspect and then apply to the software aspect by creating a platform that allows individuals to host their own tournaments, sort of like Airbnb and Uber. And then we recognized that we had to have a space to be able to tap to the to um, um, almost like a minimal value product, but we utilize the space to be able to test the test the uh, tournaments that individuals will be able to host and utilize it in our facility. So we ask questions like, "How is your hosting through our platform? And how long? You know, what will, what will make it easier for you guys to host?" And then from there, we recognize that from the NBA 2K perspective, that individuals will come into our space on a frequent basis to uh, compete, and we start to recognize that there was a a huge talent uh, rise within that. So we really want to start to focus in on NBA 2K uh, scene. So it was a huge amount of inspiration from college all the way up until now. That's super interesting. And the NBA 2K League has really undergone some pretty crazy changes over the last year and a half with the NBA 2K League. We're right in the middle of the second season right now. I believe they just announced the location for the turn coming up. How have you seen that scene really evolve pretty rapidly over the last year and a half, two years since the creation of the NBA 2K League? Yes. So before the creation of the NBA 2K League, it was individuals like Geek Leaks that were looking to create the next NBA 2K League. You know, so for us, we were just like, okay, well, let's create this league because it needs to be there. And um, but it was more from a pro-am perspective. And so when the launch of it happened, it was like, oh, man, this is awesome. So the NBA is backed behind it now. And at this instance, individuals can get more credibility and more exposure for their talent. So we've seen it beforehand and we were developing it. So just to be able to see like the growth of the first season, which in this instance, we had around about three individuals who one individual made it to the NBA 2K League to get drafted. And then the second year, we've seen about four to five individuals get drafted from the Geek Leagues area. So from our perspective, we've seen that total growth. We're seeing one to five individuals. And then now next year, we can see possibly six or 10. It just depends. You know, so it's just it was really interesting to be able to see the tournaments and the the prize purses even go up. And then just the total connectivity of the community um, with that of uh, the the professional athletes within the NBA 2K League. The support has been awesome, and it's like really cool to be able to see the growth from that perspective. That's awesome. Can you uh, name drop some people who are in the NBA 2K League who had their roots in Geek Leagues? Yes. Uh, Day Fry, Real Reezy, uh, J Money Rep, um, Brent, uh, which goes by Lord Beezus. Uh, we have uh, a, a user pick, you know, a, a user pick is one of those individuals. Uh, so, you know, like it's, a, it's some, some more as well. So it's like interesting to be able to name drop those individuals. I, it feels really good. Awesome. <laughs> I love the, uh, the NBA 2K League gamer tags. I think they have some of the best gamer tags in the, in the bunch. Uh, yes. Blazer 5 gaming guy because I'm from Portland. And Mama, I'm that man and One Wild Walnut. Man, those are my boys. Yes. <laughs> They're they pretty are, awesome. Yeah. Uh, so the NBA 2K League is so, so interesting. What was the scene like before the NBA 2K League? Cause you, you were working with some players who, you know, that, that wasn't a thing. So what was the excitement like when they really announced the formalized, Hey, the NBA is supporting this now. 
we're going to the big time. How did it feel being a member of the scene during that time? Yes. So, so beforehand, we experienced like the program scene, our biggest before NBA 2K League, our biggest uh, pain point was the fact that there was no private matchmaking. So in our space, private matchmaking was essentially a, have the ability to bring teams together and be able to do a private, uh, have on a private server. So we're, so you can be able to compete much faster versus having to randomize and hope that you can get a team on a, uh, on any out of all the online teams that are out there. So in this instance, it was almost like a drag, but being in a physical location, you know, it was the entertainment that carried over. It was the, um, the, the ability to be at one location and have that energy that's there. Um, so, so we actually we were we were used to that energy. We were used to that feel, um, and so when the NBA 2K League announced, it was just like, "Whoa, this feel is about to be on a grand stage now." And a lot of the players that were in there that are now in the NBA 2K League, they, you know, it was easy for them to transition because the big stage wasn't nothing for them. You know, so everybody became really excited because they had already knew that they they had been in the trenches already. So they, just to get their name called was one of those aspects of like, okay, I know I have an advantage now coming into the NBA 2K. League. So yeah, everybody sure. was excited. talking to some of the people behind the draft room. They were really looking for people who had that high level experience because they wanted to make sure they could perform on the big stage. That was one of the key things. You had so many different people coming out, competing in the combine, crazy numbers putting up, but that past history of success in competitive tournaments was pretty much a common thread between the uh, people I talked to who were behind some of the teams. So I want to look, I want to circle back to Geek Leads. The NBA 2K League is, is super fascinating to me as a case study. I think for all these sports simulation games, they have uh, one of the best starts, and that's because they've moved away from having people compete with actual teams. Uh, something Madden is, in the, is, in, is starting to do, NHL. Last season's NHL championship was Boston Bruins versus Boston Bruins, which just doesn't really work that well. And NBA 2K League has moved to different teams with different set uh, set players. So it's not LeBron versus Steph Curry in the NBA 2K League, if you're not familiar with. They have these different presets, and they compete five-on-five, five, which Madden is still one-on-one, -on -one, NHL is still one-on-one, -on -one, FIFA is still one-on-one. -on -one. But NBA 2K League is 5-on-5, five five, which adds that teamwork and accessibility to the game because it makes people play a role. How do you think that 5-on-5 five five aspect of NBA 2K League has impacted the game and how it's been able to grow as an esports? Oh, man, this is an awesome question. And for me, I feel it deep to my heart due to the fact that being in technology and trying to create a platform, I grew up in you know the southern sector of Dallas. So it was uh, definitely uh, in an urban area. So I grew up in this area where, you know, I went to school with Von Miller, you know, Earl Spence. So we in our area, we just... We just was we, we we grew up playing sports. And so when it comes down to, you know, having a software and you try to build a platform for tournament hosting and you have to focus in on games when your investors or any other partners come in and say, why are you not focusing on League of Legends or uh, why are you not focusing in on a Dota? Um, that necessarily was not my niche. I didn't know that niche. I didn't grow up playing those type of games or in that type of atmosphere. So when you had to create a platform from a monetary aspect, you know, your your partners would be like, go that route. 
So I couldn't necessarily go the sports route due to the fact that it was always 1v1. And there's nothing wrong with 1v1. It's just that there's a lot of limitations there. So when it came down to the fact that we've seen that Pro-Am had been installed in NBA 2K before the NBA 2K League, that was my light bulb moment like okay 5v5 competition so now it may be a smaller you know this may be a smaller um, niche in esports but this is our perfect opportunity to grow this niche based off of what we've learned so while creating this platform i had to go into the fighting game community i had to go into the uh, call of duty community i had to go to tournaments i had to go to evo i had to go to all of these tournaments and learn the community spaces so when they interacted with that of nba 2k it was like our i'm gonna take all of this insight that I've learned and I can help actual NBA 2K scene grow much faster than if I hadn't gone out and experienced those different communities. And every community has their own unique things, which I love. And so from my perspective, it's just being able to take all of those beautiful things about the esports industries or genres and then be able to tailor them that up to the NBA 2K. I I love that answer because there's so many different cool parts of esports games and people from the outside looking in, often see esports as this one giant ecosystem, but it really is so many different smaller subsets of games. Like the fighting game, uh, a person who's a fan of fighting games is probably doesn't share a ton of overlap with somebody who's a fan of Dota 2, who probably doesn't share a ton of overlap with somebody who's a fan of CSGO. And obviously there's crossover between them all, but being able to take different aspects and having the different esports build off of each other has been really a key catalyst in the growth of the esports industry we've seen over the last two to three years. Yes, I agree. So because we're in such a rapidly changing industry that is esports, how do you see Geek Leads changing even just one year from now? Like I feel like in a lot of companies you'd ask them, so 10 to 15 years out, what's your what's your plan? But in esports, we operate on such quick timeframes. How do you see the company changing in just one or two years? What are your immediate goals? Yeah, so much, much, much the most needed goal for us to be able to finish out our esports arena here in Texas. Uh, one of the things that we recognize is that with the actual platform, we can be able to aggregate individuals' data to make it easier for the NBA 2K League GMs and head coaches to identify talent. Right now, there is a gap in the NBA 2K League and the NBA 2K Pro-Am scene where there's builds that are being utilized on the NBA 2K League stage that the NBA 2K Pro-Am community do not have access to. So from our perspective, our goal is to be able to bridge that gap. So therefore, a GM and an actual head coach can be able to say, okay, this person has played on a high stage. This person used the same league builds. And this person actually has, they can be able to have the camaraderie, the composure, the leadership, all the technical things to make sure that when that actual head coach or that GM recruits a player onto their team, that that player is a good fit. Yeah, that, that's, so that's, that's a great focus. focus. Coaching is really an undertapped area in esports and a lot of that's because of how young players are and how young the industry is i think for some of the experiences i'm I'm thinking of some league of legends people uh one of the things that made uh sk telecom the dominant team was not only they have faker but they had the best coach at the time and they had a coach that their players actually respected and for a lot of esports players because the coaches are often of a similar age they don't have a long pedigree in the game Players sometimes think they know better than their coaches. And while that obviously happens in traditional sports as well, it's sort of a unique case in esports, especially for something, say, as young as the NBA 2K League. Because if you're so good at NBA 2K, why aren't you competing in the league yourself? I think that's a mindset some of the players have. And it's something, you know, valuing where a coach can 
bring to the game is, is so important, but it's something that esports is still falling behind on compared to traditional sports. Exactly. You know, to add on that, you know, the, a prime example for us before the NBA 2K League was established inside of our space, you know, we I, I purposely went and uh, identified teams and started to build teams, several teams within our space uh, for NBA 2K. And I already knew that uh, coaching would be a critical component just for the dynamic of uh, unbiased opinion. Right. So it was less on who knows the most, but it was just more on someone being able to sit back and say, hey, I'm unbiased and this is what you should work on and this is what you should work on. When you have five individuals who all think they know everything, you need someone to be able to sit back and say, uh, who's right, who's wrong, let's follow this direction. And when I first introduced that to a lot of the teams within our space, they were not having it. <laughs> so, so, so it was a really good, interesting uh, perspective. And so, you know, we kept going through. And then when they announced the NBA 2K League and they announced the coaching, um, I went to all of the players that we've built our community with. And I'm saying, hey, you know, I told you guys about this. This is very critical. Coaches will be established. And it's for the, the number one reason. It's so there yeah, can be an unbiased Yeah, because your teammate eye. is critiquing you, then you can take that the wrong way and you start pointing out things they can do wrong or they can do better and it gets into this like teammate feud. But if you have that coach whose job is literally to critique players, you just got to accept and listen to them and respect their opinion. And that's key. I think uh, it's one of the things that made, yes. that's made One Wild Walnut such a big success in the NBA 2K League. He was the MVP of year one, so I don't feel biased in saying that. Uh, he came from a basketball, he was playing, a, he was a collegiate basketball player uh, for a JC in California. Yes. And then he went to the NBA 2K League. So I think he came in really attacking it like a traditional sport, open to coaching, open to critiques, knowing how to play within a team and help lead a team. And sometimes that means taking a secondary role. And he's been very successful, and Blazer 5 Gaming has been very successful. Uh, I think that's a it's a cool immediate yes. example of what a team player can bring and make uh, and bring success to an organization. Yes, and you can actually see it as well from the Mavs gaming perspective. You're seeing LT come in and he can be able to establish that sense of, I won't say necessarily dominance, but he's able to establish a sense of respect from that of one of the number one draft picks of season one, and that's Doms. So when you have a Doms that respects you, you you can be able to core your team in a much easier fashion, and you're able to see the uh, success of Mavs gaming just as much as you're able to see the success of Blazer 5. Enjoyed watching Mavs gaming this year. It's uh, they're well oiled machine, and he's really the, I think the superstar of of the MA two K league. At least he was coming out. Um, tough first season, a little bit for him, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be crazy to watch. And it's one of the beautiful things about it is that they building up they're building up these stars because they play in that going back to that five v five mindset. You can actually have these player avatars associated with the names, associated with the guy behind the controller. When you're controlling a LeBron, it's hard to separate the player from the personalities you're watching on the court. But when it's one wild walnut controlling walnut, it it makes it so much easier to really build these stars up from the MA 2K League compared to some of the other uh, traditional sports, esports. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about accessibility. And it's something that GeekLeads advertises and says is one of your key goals is to make esports more accessible. And that's, you know, a huge topic 
because we want esports. Esports really is a truly level playing field in a lot of ways, but you have to be able to give people that opportunity. So what does esports accessibility mean to you and mean to Geekweeds as a whole? Oh, man, this is awesome question. So not only have we been able to experience individuals that has come through the Geekly's pipeline as a professional gamer, but um, we've had several individuals come through Geekly's that are now, you know, commentating for the NBA 2K League or doing media for the NBA 2K League or that of, you know, doing videography and production for esports organizations out there like Complexity. So from our perspective, we're seeing individuals who enter into this esports industry can not only say, hey, I don't want to be the, I may not be the next professional gamer, but I may take my talents and incorporate that into graphic design or videography or dietitianary skills. It's all of those skills that are ramping up to help the growth of the industry. And that's our whole, our whole marketing opportunity is to take esports, place it into a geographic location that accessibility may be very difficult for an individual and be able to give them those skill sets for that for their success overall. Uh, in this instance right now, let's say we're in the urban market, uh, we know that we can be able to uh, directly correlate that of skill sets and be able to apply it to esports for individuals who may not even have those opportunities. And therefore, they can say, hey, I've worked through Geek Leads and this is how uh, my resume looks. And therefore, when any other esports organization organizations reaches out to us, we can say, look at this individual, look at their portfolio in which they've been able to help uh, grow our production or grow our skill sets or grow our team base. Yeah, and that's awesome because the different opportunities in esports are often overlooked. For some reason, I mean, there's so many kids who grow up being like, I want a career in sports. And usually that doesn't mean professional athlete, but that same thing applies to esports. Esports needs writers and shoutcasters and graphic designers and they need so, so many of them. And there's very few barriers to entry. That's counsel I give to a lot of people like uh, at my school. I was in the sports broadcasting program. I've gone back to talk to them a little bit about esports. I'm like, guys, if you go, if you want to go cover the Oregon Ducks, which is our local uh, college, there's 10 writers out here who are over 35 years old and have been doing this for 20 years. Do you really want to compete with them? Or if you have an interest in esports, there's very, very few people, even over the age of 30, who are doing esports content or esports work or even really understand esports. And the opportunity for career involvement, it's not just gaming. This is uh, this is growing so quickly and you have so many opportunities here. So if this is something that interests you, like I highly encourage you to come check it out because there are so many, there, there are a lot fewer gatekeepers in your way in esports than there are in the traditional sports world or in really many other industries in general. Exactly. But those gatekeepers are going to come fast. So I tell individuals uh, from our perspective is, you know, I see two things. I see in the the, uh, the older population looking to diversify their portfolio in a sense of, oh, I am really good at um, what I do. And I want to be able to say I have esports as a uh, subsidiary or a uh, drop in the bucket or part of my satchel. And then I'm seeing a younger demographic that may not know what they're doing and they can come into esports and do whatever they will like they feel within esports, developing, coding, wherever that may be. And they can actually have a leg up for the ongoing future. You know, if they say, you know, at this instance, individuals say, hey, Danny, you've been in esports for seven to 10 years now. 
you know, I look at it it's like, well, I'm glad I was able to do that. But beforehand, it started very, very low. I started to learn just I had to learn a skill set. And now it's um, advantageous to be able to get opportunities such as speaking on on the esports network. So from my perspective, it's like I look at a younger individual and say, if you do not get in here now, uh, it's those barriers or entries, those gatekeepers are going to they're going to come and you just got to be aware of it. Still so much opportunity and so much growth happening that there are a lot of opportunities out there for somebody who wants to work hard and make this a career path. It is is attainable, but I agree. That door is quickly shutting as all the different, as each esports organization wrap, racks up uh, $40 million investment rounds that the gatekeepers enter a, a little bit more and more. Exactly. But the opportunities are so so, so high right now. So it's just the, it's the encourage so many individuals who may not know about esports or just kind of think of esports as just sitting in front of your TV and gaming. Uh, it's about individuals such as yourself and myself to go out and talk to about the amazing opportunities within esports and get individuals interested and to take their natural passion for a game and apply it to the real world. We grow up and a lot of parents are like, yeah, I mean, games are a hobby. Games are a hobby. And now it's finally like, no, this can be your your career. And it doesn't necessarily mean playing the game. It doesn't mean designing games, although that is a great career path now. But there's so many different things in the esports orbit. So if you're interested in really any different area of your career, there are probably opportunities in esports that fit that area. So the final topic I wanted to talk about you was the new arena which is super, these physical venues popping up all over the U.S. and the world really uh, are super interesting. In fact, I just talked to HKS uh, Design Studios who are designing the new Team Vitality Studio in uh, Paris. So you can you can check out that podcast on the Esports Network podcast feed. It's the one right before this one. Um, and in that podcast, we talked about a lot of the different focuses of what or what design companies are looking at when they build esports facilities. And so, Danny, I wanted to ask you, what were some of the key factors of the Geek Leads arena? What were you really trying to make sure you had in that arena? One, it was culture. So I know, let me explain that. So in our current, in our past um, Geek Leads uh, space in downtown Dallas, uh, we recognized that it felt as if like, I don't know if you remember the movie Eight Mile and they were in the basement and, you know, everybody was crammed in the basement. It was hot, but the energy was like on fire. Um, that's how we wanted to be able to create that culture um, because that gives the grassroots feeling. It gives the sense of, hey, I'm in here, I'm with my community. And we recognize that there's a lot of grassroots communities. One in particular is the Smash community. And so we wanted to look, we wanted to give that type of feel. So building this arena, we recognizing that there's incredibly large arenas here in the Texas area, and there are you know grassroots uh, land gaming centers or garages or basements. And so we really want to be that happy medium so we can keep that culture but still be able to uh, bring a large group of individuals. Yeah, I love that 8-mile reference because that is really one of the best crowd energy scenes that's ever been created. I think my YouTube algorithm just throws it to me every couple of months because it knows that I'm going to click on it and watch it every time I ever see it come up because it's just so incredible and you can feel the energy <laughs> uh, from the crowd on there. So what else? Culture is such a, is not the, yes, the response can. I was, I guess I was expecting. So I, it's so interesting to me that that's your key concern is really building a space where people feel connected to it 
And I, I think I, I've asked that question to a couple other people who have hands in designing. They're like, oh, we want, you know, a, arena. We want places for people to play games. But your your focus is culture. And I love that response because it's, you know, that that's it's a cool place to build out an arena from. Yes, for sure. Um, and, you know, it didn't just come out of nowhere. It's, you know, it's years of experience. And granted, you know, we come from, we're not, you know, you're seeing a lot of arenas and they've been built with, you know, millions of dollars. So like we started out of our basement. So we didn't have a plethora of capital. We made it work. And we recognize that even by making it work, our consumers appreciated that. So they're able to grow with us. And when they grow with us, it helps us build that community of trust. Uh, one of the biggest things for me in particular is that of trust and being being connected with the esports because as soon as you get so big it becomes a uh, there becomes this void as you don't you can't you're adhering to other individuals more than you adhering to your community um, now granted you have to sway there's a balance there and so we wanted to be able to play that balance by being uh, having a, a not so big arena, hundred thousand square feet arena, but really being able to have uh, a larger, much more larger arena than your typical basement or your typical land air arena. Uh, but we wanted to be able to sustain that type of energy uh, based off of the community that we've built already, um, and that was really, really important to us. We knew that we built from a small basement that it got to the point to where we had so many people in there where we were just like, no, we have to grow. <laughs> you know, like we have to grow. Like we cannot be in here. Uh, people banging on the walls and stomping their feet. Like, no way. We have to get a larger experience. The other great part of that arena is it gets into the accessibility because it provides a place for people who might not have the opportunities they need at their own house. Yes. But if you have that physical venue, venue you can bring people in and make esports more accessible, be like, hey, come over here and we can we can take care of you. We can set you up with what you need. Yes. Okay. So one of the coolest things about our space is not only do we have the arena aspect, but we have uh, approximately five, around about 400 to 600 square foot rooms in which smaller tournaments or pool plays can be achieved. So we want to be able to utilize those rooms simultaneously for that of tournament hosting and then also classroom. So we can bring your day fries or we can bring any professional uh, pro professional gamer or someone that's in a professional space of esports uh, from a technical uh, space or that from a production space and allow them to come back and be able to, especially during their off seasons, to come back and teach students from different high schools or middle schools or ele elementary schools about what they've experienced in the NBA 2K League. Sort of like this podcast in which I'm on this podcast and I'm talking to you about our experiences. I want to be able to provide that same type of uh, value to uh, individuals who are in grade school or high school um, to, or college to be able to get those same type of insights uh, from individuals that have been in the field. And so that's one of, one of the biggest things that we wanted to be able to bring this space to um, the, the southern sector of Dallas. So we can be able to give those opportunities to individuals. So we're coupling it with that of the education and then also the experience of being in an actual arena and seeing the intensity and the spectatorship get involved with the professional players and the pro-am players. I'm just imagining a classroom of middle school kids who when they meet an NBA 2K player, they're like, wait, you do what? You, you get paid for that? <laughs> that just sounds like an environment I'd love to be in because when kids, yes. when kids see you have that veil lifted to be like, this is an opportunity for you out there. It's oh, just man. really cool to see because they're already playing games anyway, especially current middle schoolers. They're on the sticks all the time. 
Exactly. You know, one of the coolest things I talk to individuals about when I go into these schools and I ask individuals, my first question is, do you guys play games? Everybody in women, men, you know, no matter your age, everybody will raise their hands. And then it allows me to go and ask what type of games you play. And I hear every type of game that's out there. So when it comes down to it, it's easy to be able to segment. And if I hear someone that likes uh, NBA 2K or Fortnite, I can be able to go find the individuals who are very good at that game or that particular game and um, give them, give the students uh, that much more uh, value from somebody who's actually doing it. You know, even from a YouTuber perspective, I can ask, you know, who, which YouTuber you guys is watch? It would be Ninja. It would be so many other individuals, you know, and so that gives us the opportunity to see if we can find these individuals so we can actually put them face to face with the, with the community, you know, and help build that perspective, make it more tangible. Yeah, when this digital generation of kids really comes of age, you know, they've been raised on these games and they have been playing online heavily competitive experiences for basically their entire lives. This generation that's only, I mean, we're seeing in the in the Fortnite World Cup with kids as young as 12, 13, 14 years old playing at the highest level. Like in Rocket League, we've got kids who come out and they're 15 years old and they're one of the best players in the RLCS. So I'm just, the that future digital generation when they come of age, man, they are going to dominate at games. Yes, for sure. And it's just about with anything that's growing really, really rapidly, it's being able to just make sure that uh, it's our job to give the uh, appropriate measures of success and make sure that individuals are not abusing it. And then also that also helps the actual building of the community um, to keep that grassroots feeling, but also be on a large scale. That is the key point. And so that's something that we're really focusing in on is how do we sustain that type of culture? Awesome. I love it. Well, that was every topic I wanted to cover with you. But is there anything I didn't ask you about or a topic we didn't cover that you wanted to say a little bit about Geekleets or your background or really anything else about esports? Um, no, it seems as if like we had a really, really good conversation. Uh, you touched on every topic that was um, in the atmosphere right now. Um, we're looking forward to seeing what uh, the competition is going to be like in uh, the new full sale arena in, um, in Orlando. So uh, that's going to be pretty dope for the NBA 2K League's uh, tournament. Um, so this is going to be pretty, it's good to be able to see. So we're actually anxious to be able to see that. And then we're also going to be releasing our tournament here soon for our grand opening, which is going to be August 17th in Dallas, Texas, um, particularly DeSoto, Texas. And so, you know, we're just hoping that individuals can be able to want to come out and experience um, some of the top pro-am players. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Danny. It was a pleasure having you on. Good luck into the future. And let's uh, let's circle back for another podcast. And- you know, and whatever the whatever the time's right.